We just pray right now for all the people that have been um, upset, devastated. There have been families that have lost loved ones, that police officer, Lord, that died in his car. Lord, this, this Hurricane Harvey, with its record-setting flooding on the Texas coast, has, has really ravaged that area, as you know and knew beforehand. And Lord, we want to respond. We want to first pray for people, for their safety, for the safety of that area, for uh, the, just the, the first responders, the police and fire that are working to try to normalize things there. The, the curfews and, and the just protecting of the people when there's no power, uh, the police department and those that are there to protect people. We pray for, for them, Lord. We ask God that you'd give them wisdom and that you'd bring uh, some semblance of order soon. We ask God that you would give Pastor Ron, and I believe it's Pastor Steve there, and many other pastors, faithful men of God there in that Gulf Coast region, that they would have wisdom and know how to minister in Jesus' name to the people that are hurting, that have been displaced, that have lost someone. And so we stand with them tonight. We pray, Father, that you would, would bring joy to their hearts, Help them in their time of sorrow and need. And Lord, if there's anything that we can do, that you would put it on our hearts. That if we can even give $5 that might help buy water for someone in need. We just ask God that you would put on our hearts whatever it is you'd like us to do. And that we would respond to you for, to, for your glory, for your great name. And so we, we again pray for that area in Jesus' name. And tonight, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray, God, that you would teach us these wonderful uh, truths that emerge from this wonderful history. And I, I ask, God, that you'd help us to apply these things to our lives as we study together this wonderful book of Genesis. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight, we're in Genesis uh, chapter 48. And uh, we're going to be looking at Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who is Israel. His name has been changed to Israel. And he's really become God's man. He's really Israel now, even though you'll notice his name is Jacob. But it's important that you know this history, especially since we're going to move right into the book of Exodus in a few weeks. Because it's the tribes of Israel the sons of Jacob or the tribes of Israel, whenever you see in the Bible the children of Israel, and in your mind you go, who are they? Children of Israel. Well, it's, it's Jacob's sons. He had 12 sons. And we're going to look at those tonight, but we're going to see something interesting that sets you up for, again, understanding who these 12 tribes are because uh, we have this legacy of this man, Jacob or Israel, and He's the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the, the patriarchs, the three patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we've been looking at these men, all of them flawed, and yet God sovereignly choosing them, working with them through their denial of, of him. Uh, shaping as God molds each one of them. Jacob, it's just taken him forever, hasn't it? 
And he's finally just shown these stellar qualities of a man of faith. And tonight we'll get that final look at him when he's really walking closely to the Lord and he's a man of faith. But tonight's uh, message really is in chapter 48. I hope you open your Bible there, but it's passing on a godly heritage. It's all about Jacob's now about to die and he's going to pass on his godly heritage to his son. I'm going to make application for you as parents. Many of you have children. I raised five and we still have two in the home, although they're adults and make their own choices. We still, as parents, have influence over them in a, in a little way, with our, even with our kids away from home. But we have greater influence now in the life of our grandchildren. And so if you're a grandparent, this Bible study is important as well. Passing on that godly heritage, that's really what God wants us to do, is, is continue passing that on. That's our first ministry, obviously. You might not be a pastor, Sunday school teacher, but you are a minister in that you can influence those people in your household, influence those people around you. Now, this story really is about Jacob adopting his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He's going he's gonna to adopt them into his family. This story really has, this chapter really is, is about why Joseph is never named as one of the tribes of Israel. Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. But there's no tribe of Joseph, right? And what happens is Joseph gets a double blessing here in that God, through his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, blessed Joseph. So Joseph's heritage is two tribes. It's really a, a beautiful story, and it helps us to understand why Joseph isn't listed as a tribe. But most importantly, this chapter, uh, the writer of the Hebrews selects it as an example of Jacob's and his faith. Look at this verse behind me on the screen. It's Hebrews 11. Notice, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, that's what we're going to read about tonight here in chapter 48 of Genesis, he blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. So this really leaning on a staff, you know, trusting in the Lord. That's really what this story is about. Jacob, he's finally got to this place where he's, he's a man of faith. And now we can sing the song, you know, Oh God of Jacob without going, Jacob? <laughs> the last, I mean, since chapter 28, it's been Jacob, the surplanter, Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the manipulator, Jacob. But, but now, see, God has taken his whole life, 140 years till he gets to Egypt, and then 17 more years of his life are really the most glorious years of his life where he's trusting the Lord and he's, he's encouraging his family. So Jacob, in an act of faith, he's going to bless his two grandsons here, believing God is going to keep his word, the, the main blessings that God gave to Abraham, descendants, and land, those were the two main ones. And so Jacob's trusting God by faith that, that those things are going to come through his, his, his two grandsons now, uh, land, specific land for them, and, and more and more descendants, which when they get to Egypt, I mean, they're, they're in Egypt now, but they're going to be there 400 years, and they're going to multiply like ants, these people. They, they multiply because God's blessed them. He's made them fruitful, and they're going to multiply, and he's, he's with them. And until you read Exodus chapter 1, and it's interesting, you can jump ahead and check that out. For those of you that are, love the Bible and read, you know the story. It's in Exodus chapter 1 that there's a change of leadership in Egypt. And this Pharaoh, he didn't like Hebrews. He didn't like him at all. So he makes their lives miserable. 
So that's where, that's where we're going. But uh, again, this, the application of our story tonight really is all about how more than an inheritance, more than the, uh, the 401k or giving your children money or, or education, as important as it is, those are not as important as leaving a godly heritage for your kids. Would you not agree? I mean, I, I get older and older. As I grow older, felt like Jacob today, you know, got out of bed and, oh. But as I get older and older, what I want to leave behind is a godly heritage. That's the most important thing that any of us can leave. So that's why I've entitled this Passing on a Godly Heritage. So chapter 48 opens with Jacob in his, his final days. He's been in Egypt 17 years. He's 147 years old. And he brings Joseph to his bedside. My first point here is the adoption of Manasseh and Ephraim, verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. In other words, he's, he's on his last legs here. And he took with him, Joseph did, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Remember where they were born? Right there in Egypt, right? Joseph has been in Egypt for many years. He was given a wife. I think her name was Anaseth or something. And he's got these two children that have been there. Joseph has been there 17 years. So we know they're over 17. We're thinking they're 20, 22 years old. We're not sure, but that would be a good guess. Manasseh and Ephraim, verse 2. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And see how the names interchange. Israel, that's Jacob, strengthened himself and he sat upon his bed. He's, he's old, 147, can you imagine? Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. Remember, that was years ago. In the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, verse 4, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a multitude of people and give you this land. They were in Canaan. That's where Luz is. Give you this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt. Notice what he says here. They're mine. He's claiming them. And they're going to take the place of two sons, Reuben, the oldest, and Simeon. It's important, again, to know what happened in their lives. I'll make mention of it. You probably already know. But Joseph's blessing is that his two sons now are going to be brought into the tribes. They're going to receive the same inheritance as Reuben and Simeon and the other brothers here. What happens, and, and here let me just kind of move forward, and I'm going to show you this map that's going to come into play 400 years after the fact. I didn't bring my pointer, but here's this map. And this is the map of Israel, kind of condensed here. But you'll see all the names. See all the names up there starting in uh, there's Manasseh, Naphtali, Asher, Zebulun, Iscah. There's another Manasseh. We, I'll explain that later. Ephraim and Manasseh, there they are in the middle to your left. Benjamin, Dan, Judah, Reuben. You have the kingdom in the north, the kingdom in the south. Helps you to really set up and understand uh, when the Bible talks about those things later after the book of Genesis. But notice that Jacob has 12 sons. We know that. One of them was thrown into a pit by his brother, sold into slavery. And now he has these two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So if you take 12 sons and then you add two, you get how many? 
How many tribes are there? So there's two, there's an issue here too. One issue is explained very easily. The, the tribe of Levi were the priests, and the, Levi does not get land. 400 years when this map was created, they're not given land, and that's because they're distributed all over Israel. They're distributed all over there. Joseph is not mentioned because his two sons are, are mentioned there. So we have Levi, the priestly tribe, who sprinkled all over, and then you're given Ephraim and Manasseh, so you end up with these 12 tribes. Joseph's not mentioned, Levi's not mentioned, but these other two make up the 12 tribes. What Jacob, in this story, beginning in verse 1, is doing, he's taking this, this blessing from the firstborn. Remember, in this culture, they always bless the firstborn, but not always in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Because God is sovereign. God is doing a work. It's called election. It's God's sovereign work of choosing and selecting. And that's really what we're seeing in the story. Again, I'll explain that as we move further uh, in the story. But these two take the place of, of Reuben and Simeon. And not necessarily take the place, but take the blessing. They end up getting this firstborn's blessing. So Reuben is still one of the tribes, but he doesn't get the blessing, the firstborn blessing that Jacob gives to these two. And then he has a special blessing for Ephraim, the younger, and not Manasseh, the older. Really interesting the way this story uh, turns out. Why? Why hasn't Reuben blessed his firstborn? Remember what Reuben did? He had sex with one of the concubines of Jacob, and, and he, he discredited his father. And then Simeon was the guy that came up with a plan. Hey, let's, let's circumcise and then kill the men in Shechem. Remember that? So those two were kind of like put aside. Now, all the brothers were deceptive like their dad. They had a dad that taught them all these bad things. So no wonder they acted that way. But now they're being kind of pushed aside. They're not getting the firstborn blessing. It's going to be these two grandsons of Jacob. That's the story here. In verse, or chapter 48, Jacob gives Joseph a double portion here. Verse 6, your offering whom or offspring, pardon me, whom you begat after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I come from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Bethlehem or Ephrath and buried her there on the way to Bethlehem. So he's just kind of given his... his uh, favorite son, Joseph, kind of the history. You know, I really loved your mom. She was my favorite wife. I, I, she, I picked her first. I saw her first. I, was, I fell in love with her. But Laban, you know, your uncle, he, 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 he made me work. Or my uncle, your great uncle, he made me work really hard. I had to work seven more years. So he, I was here in this land all this time, but I loved her so I stayed and I worked for her. So he's given just a little bit of, and then, and then she's the one that died. She died at a young age. Very interesting. And she is buried in Bethlehem. So these Old Testament patriarchs, they're thinking the ultimate goal for them is to, to have land, right? They don't have land yet. They're in the promised land, but they haven't been given specific land. That, their hope is to get back to Canaan and have land. Our hope, you, your hope and mine, is to be where? Where is our heavenly kingdom? With the Lord forever, the new Jerusalem. 
They didn't have that hope then. They had the hope of being, having land. That's everything in the Old Testament. You'll see that as we go into Exodus, their hope is to have that, that land. So Jacob here is, is kind of given a background about his mom and where she's buried in that land. And that brings us to this next point in verse 8, Jacob's faith in God. Let's see how it's grown. Look at verse 8. Then Israel, that's Jacob, saw Joseph's sons. And he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and kissed them and embraced them. Again, one of those real emotional scenes. When you read quickly through the Bible, you miss some of these things. Very emotional time here. Joseph brings his two sons to his old father. He's about to die. He's 147 years old or so. And again, his sons are strapping young men, you know, 19, 20, 22 years old, not sure, but... But Jacob's eyesight was as bad, which is interesting, as bad as his father's Isaac. Remember Isaac's eyesight was really bad? Maybe some kind of genetic thing, you know? You know how those things kind of get passed along? And so his eyesight's as bad as his dad's, and Jacob really couldn't see him. They were too far away, and we we don't know if he was, I, I don't think he was blind. I just think he couldn't see very far. He propped himself up on the bed, under 47. Come here, young man. I can't see you. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a neat picture. But, but he wants to get close to them. He wants to bless them. And he, and he hugs them and embraces them and he, he kisses them. And then notice what he says in verse 11. He says, I had not thought to see your face. He's holding and kissing his grandson. He looks up at Joseph. He says, Joseph, I thought I'd never see you again. He's, he's weeping and, oh, it's so good to see you and, and your offspring, your children. Oh, can, you, can you just sense that emotion here? But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. Not only do I get to see you in my old age, I get to see my grandsons, your, your children. He, again, the emotion just flowing from him. So Jacob, or Israel here, he thought he'd never see this family. And now he's holding them. He's declaring his faith. Oh, God has been so faithful to me. Again, back in chapter 47, we looked at that last week. When Jacob met Pharaoh, and remember Pharaoh walks up to him and says, well, I can't wait to meet your dad. I want to meet your dad. And he, he walks up and meets his dad, and it's like, wow, how old are you, you know? He was 140 or 130 years old. And he says, how old are you? And, and then Jacob has to kind of explain, well, my life's been really hard. I've, I've really suffered a lot. But, but I haven't suffered as much as my forefathers. Remember that? He's, he's showing these signs of faith. Instead of saying, you know, my life was really tough and, and woe is me and, and you should feel sorry for me. He says, you know, I, I've had a real tough life. But, but it hasn't been as bad as my father's. Here's the verse. You could look at it. Genesis 47, verse 9, the, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, he says. Instead of my life on earth, he says, my short pilgrimage on earth. I know I'm not going to be here forever. I've been here 130 years. And then he says this, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. My life's not been as half as hard as, as uh, my father and grandfather's life have been. 
So Jacob, he knows he lives somewhere else. He's humbly admitting in that sentence that, that he, he, he's just a sojourner. He, he's not here forever. And he realizes that and that his family had it much harder. That's that new humility we talked about last week. 17 years after that, and I think this has been the best years of his life, he's in Egypt, he's being cared for, he's got a son, Joseph, back in his life, and, and now he's got his grandkids, and so he's just happy as can be. I, have, I didn't think I'd ever see you again, verse 11, but God has also shown me your offspring. It's God. God has, has been so faithful to me. You see, see what he's saying. Important that you understand that. Jacob, he's realized, and he's giving full credit to God for his life. Oh, God's been so faithful. No, my life wasn't as hard as my forefathers, but God has been so faithful. Look, he's brought you back into my life, Joseph. And not only that, look what he's done. He's brought my grandsons into my life. Oh, my life is so blessed. That's really what he's saying. God has, has really, really blessed me. Now, as he's realized his faith in God is the most important part of his life. This is why I've entitled this message, you know, Passing on a Godly Heritage, because that's really what's in his mind here. And I believe that the most important thing we can give our kids, whether it's our kids or our grandkids, maybe there's some here that have great-grands, I don't know. You're blessed if you do. Anybody have great-grands? There's one, there's two. Okay, there's several of you have great grandkids. You are blessed to have these children that you can have influence in their lives. You can share the gospel with them. You can read Bible stories to them. You can buy birthday presents that have a purpose and a meaning, you know, little CDs or videos or whatever it is that you give your grandkids to encourage them in their faith. Let me give you an illustration here. In one of James Dobson's books, he includes an essay from a third grade girl. It's called, What's a Grandmother? And again, this is just an illustration how we can impact our kids. So this little third grade girl writes this, a grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own. She likes other people's little boys and girls. A grandfather is a man grandmother. He goes for walks with the boys and talks about fishing and stuff like that. Grandmothers don't have to do anything except be there. They're so old, they shouldn't play or run. When they take us for walks, they should slow down, pass things like pretty leaves and caterpillars. Usually grandmother, says this third grader, they wear glasses and funny underwear. Boy, isn't that the truth? They can take their teeth out too. When they read to us, they don't skip or mind if they say the same story over and over again. Everybody should try to have a, a grandmother, especially if you don't have television, because they're the only grown-ups who have time from a little girl, a little third-grade girl. It says a lot about the influence of a grandparent, doesn't it? And the role of a grandparent. Truth is, if we want our kids, parents, if you want your kids, and, and grandparents, if you want your grandkids to know God, we need to communicate the truth to them over and over, praying with them and talking to them about God and sharing your faith about God as well. Here's what I've seen, though, in parents. And I, being a pastor for many, many years, being in this church since 79, and, and I don't 
I don't mean this about anybody in this room, but over the many years I've been here, over 30 years, I, I've noticed these couple of things. Number one, parents that are extremely authoritarian, and I think I'd put myself in that place when I was 23 and had my first child. And by the time I was 30, we had three boys. And boys are challenging. We didn't know how challenging they were until we had Ashley, who just, Ashley, yes, Daddy. And so I think I fell in this category for many years in my young parenting. Extremely authoritarian, ruling so rigidly that no one could ever live up to that standard. As a father, I made it so difficult. You have to do this and stop doing that. And, and I, I was critical. And honey, you've got to make them do this and obey. And, and rather than just being gracious and loving and letting them be a child. You know, when a, when a three or four-year-old spills milk, there's, there's no time for discipline. They're three. They, they can't run down the, the soccer field kicking a ball and dribbling with one foot. And, and they can't keep milk from being spilled. Amen? So when they spill milk, and even though they've done it, we have the cups. I love the cups that are like huge on the bottom. It's like we buy this cup with this big base, so maybe they won't spill this, and then they, they drop it or they spill it. But you know you're extremely authoritarian when your ch child can't be a child. And so be very careful, parents. On the other hand, there are other parents that just let their kids run wild. They're afraid that if they correct them at all, then they'll ruin their self-esteem. You know, they'll injure them. Nothing could be further from the truth. You, you have to balance those two, right, parents? It's hard, isn't it? I'm looking at some of you parents. It's hard. It's not easy. I, I know. It's, we did it. But here's the important thing. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to be loving like Jesus and gracious like Jesus with your children. And you have to have a goal. You have to have a goal. You want to teach them morality and holiness, and all about Jesus Christ. It's not about what you leave them in terms of money. It's not about where you want them to go in terms of education so they can make lots of it. I'd rather have a poor, godly, Jesus-loving child than a rich Wall Street shark that doesn't know Christ any day of the week. Very important for us to, to be the kind of parent that balances those two. We have to teach God's standards and apply consequences at their level. You know, a, a three-year-old is different than a seven-year-old. And when they're 12, you don't treat them like they're seven. So there's lots I could say, but you understand what I'm saying. Here in this story, we hear from Jacob in verse 10. Notice he's 147. He gets to his grandkids. He kissed them. And he embraces them, just loving on his grandkids. I love that picture there. We had our grands over today, and I, I came to work. Esther had them all day. She's just wiped out. They're little. They're teeny, but they're so precious. They're so sweet, the little things they do. But I'll tell you what, they're a lot of work, aren't they, grandparents? It's a blessing, though. Now, here in verse 12, Joseph brings his sons to Jacob now to lay his hands and bless them. The title here of the point is the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, verse 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim, with his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right. So they both walk up to their grandpa, and it's like, oh, you're on the wrong side. So, son, you go on this side, because you're the oldest. You have to be on the right side of grandpa. 
and, 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 and Ephraim, you're the youngest, so you have to be on his left. So, so Joseph's trying to orchestrate it all because my dad can't see. He's not really sure. He loves him, but he's not really sure. So Joseph's trying to work this all out here by steering his, his kids because he wants to make sure that the oldest one gets the birthright. That's the culture. Verse 14, then Israel stretched out his right hand, and instead of laying it on Manasseh's head, he goes like this. And he crosses his hands. Now, he's, he doesn't see that well, but there's a purpose in all of that. And it says there that he, Israel stretched out his hand to the right, laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed, verse 15, Joseph. And so he's got his hands on his grandkids, and he's blessing Joseph. So the blessing is going to go through Joseph to these two sons that are going to be part of the tribes, the children of Israel. And he says, he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be upon them and the name of the fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Wonderful blessing, isn't it? It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. Now, it's the words of the blessing that tell us about Jacob's faith. Notice he's saying, God bless you, and God who's, who's watched after me, it's God blessing. So this, again, helps us to understand where Jacob's gone from evil, surplanter, de uh, deceiver, to this man that has his faith in God. He just loves the Lord. And he's, he's passing on this faith to his grandsons here in this little ceremony here as he's blessing them. So Jacob's God is the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And secondly, Jacob notices something very important and says it right here in this text he says, God has always led me. God has always cared for me. Now, remember that Jacob and his family have always been one occupation. It's one thing. They've always done one thing to make all their money. It's livestock, right? They've been shepherds. That's what they do. That's what Abraham did. That's what Isaac did. That's what Jacob, their family is all about being shepherds here. And really, that's what he's saying. That, that verse there, in verse 15, where it says, the God who has fed me, Literally, in the Hebrew, it's the God who has shepherded me. That's really what that says in the Hebrew. And this is the first mention in the Bible of this, this whole concept is God is a shepherd to his people. It comes from this section here. It reminds me of Psalm 23. David probably got it from there, although David was a shepherd too. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... And that's really what Jacob is saying here. That, that little Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I, I have no needs. God provides everything that I need. And that's really what Jacob is saying here. And then in verse 16, Jacob says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. And Jacob is just acknowledging God's never left him. God has provided everything for him and that during the times of evil or suffering in his life, that God brought him through it all, even though he made lousy choices. 
And that's really what he's saying there. The angel, the angel uh, has provided for me and redeemed me from all evil. So Jacob, he's looking at his past life and he's saying, oh God, God has been so faithful and God is going to bless you and he's going to be faithful to you young ones. I can just see him, you know, he's, he's crying, he's weeping, he, he's, he's excited, he's smiling, he's in the joy of his life because God has just blessed him in those years. And he's just, oh, oh, God's blessed me. He's gonna bless you too. He's always been faithful. That's, that, that's what he's saying to them. And now Joseph, he's listening to the blessing and he's, he's like, he wants to interrupt. You almost feel like he wants to jump in there. And we get in verse 17, my next point here, Joseph's objection and Jacob's answer, verse 17. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. It's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And his, and his, he's listening to him, and he, he's seeing this outpouring of emotion and hearing the blessing, but he, he's displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand, and he removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. You're all mixed up, dad. Here, let me, let me fix this for you. So he corrects his father, thinking that his dad doesn't know what he's doing. That's, that's what Joseph is thinking. But Jacob has done something deliberate, and it makes a common sense, right? The two sons come forward. Instead of going like this, he goes like that. So it's a deliberate choice that Jacob's made here. And it's a beautiful choice here. Verse 19, but his father refused. He says, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim. So he uses the younger name first, and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So it was Jacob's goal all along to do this, to bless Ephraim before Manasseh. The question is why? The short answer is God's sovereign choice. God's sovereign, and this just display, this is just another display of divine election. Just like Jacob was chosen over his older brother Esau. Same thing. God is sovereignly working here. God, God purposed to do work through the younger. Why? We don't know why. All we know is God did it. God made that decision, that choice. And so when we in our minds, we think, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make sense. That's, doesn't, that's not the right order. God, you should, just like Joseph. God, Dad, you're doing the wrong thing. But, but Jacob says, no, I'm doing the right thing. He was being led by God. And we see this over and over. And then the answer really to why is that God is not obligated to do what we think he's going to do, right? I mean, how many of us can, can say, you know what? I know what God's going to do tomorrow. I think you could say, I know God's faithful tomorrow. I know that God's gracious and merciful tomorrow. But you don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. None of us know. And so it's important for us to understand that he chooses as he wills. And this book of Genesis has been filled with this. Seth was chosen over Cain. Shem over Japheth. Isaac over Ishmael. 
Over and over we've seen that. Jacob over Esau and now Ephraim over Manasseh. And here's the reason why. And it's, it's in the New Testament. This, is a, this divine election is all through the Bible, but we see it in the New Testament. Romans 9, look at this verse behind me, Romans 9, 10. Paul writes this, he says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, remember Rebekah and Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. This is the explanation. God is sovereign. God does as he wills. And he's chosen the, old, the older to serve the younger. So the choice of Ephraim above Manasseh. We see this, this whole truth about preeminence. Preeminence is clearly seen here. The, and really what this is teaching, the, this blessing of the firstborn, the the laying the hand on the firstborn or in the case of Jacob and in the case of Ephraim on the younger and blessing the younger. And we, we think in terms of it should always be the first one out of the womb, but God doesn't think that way. David, remember David, the greatest king of Israel. He was the youngest child of the, of the sons of Jesse. The ugliest, the shortest, I don't know, whatever you want to say. I mean, he was the shortest, the smallest, the ruddiest, the red-hairedest, whatever. And everyone around thought it was for sure going to be the firstborn, the secondborn. They were tall and, and, and strong, but not little ruddy David out in the field watching the sheep. But God had a different plan because God looks at the what? The heart, not the outward appearance. And so God knows and he chooses and so that's what this is really teaching. More importantly, Jesus has this same preeminent position. When the Bible says that Jesus is firstborn, unlike what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that doesn't mean he was born first. It means that he had preeminence, that he had all rights and authority. And we see that in Colossians 1.15. Here it is behind me on the screen. Paul writes, and he said, or he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There it is. Witnesses will always bring you to this verse and say, see, Jesus was firstborn. But that's not what that means. When you read the context, notice it says that in all things he might have what? Preeminence. Preeminence is this principle that we're looking at right now, that this is preeminence, God choosing. And so God in his divine way, chose this younger and these other youngers we've seen. God, for his glory, for his purpose, he chooses. Now, Paul, in this text that you're looking at, doesn't say, he's not mean, meaning that li Jesus was literally born here like the J-dubs say. He's saying that Jesus has first rights, firstborn rights. He has preeminence because he's God. Now, here in chapter 48, we see Jacob blessing the younger. And again, this just indicates the sovereign choice of God. And from, check this out, from Ephraim's tribe in the future comes some of the greatest names in the Bible, Joshua. Joshua comes from this tribe. It could be, you know, as we look at this, they, some authors tie Moses into there too. But Joshua 
uh, you see him emerging from Ephraim's tribe. So God has a purpose and a plan. And finally here in, in verse 21, we see Jacob's final request. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying. Listen to his faith, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Again, when Jacob says this, behold, I'm dying, he's passing the torch, which is what we are all supposed to do to our children, to our children's children, to our children's children's children, you know, if you're a great-grand, if you're that blessed, passing the torch, sharing the gospel, telling others about Jesus. Our first ministry is our family. That's, that's your first ministry. It's a blessed one. I think you all should embrace it. I think most of you do. It's not the Sunday school that we look to, or Pastor John, as great a job as he does with our youth. It, we shouldn't look to him to evangelize our kids. We should evangelize our children. We should teach them and correct them and show them the great faith that the Bible is filled with. We are responsible as parents and grandparents to do that. So Jacob says, uh, listen, behold, I'm dying. And he's passing this torch on. Now Israel is the last of the three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, right? And his children. So he's the last of the three great patriarchs. And it's his children, the children of Israel, that we're going to follow as we go into the book of Exodus. So now you have a really great base of information as we move into the book of Exodus in the coming weeks. But again, notice that his words we hear, uh, in his words, here in this last uh, sentence here, we hear how Jacob has grown into really this godly man. He says, God will be with you. God's going to be with you. I don't know if you were here Sunday to hear my story Sunday night. This is God's promise to his children. He's going to be with you. And what a wonderful thing to hear from an old, godly, faithful man. Oh, son, oh, you might have hardships, but God's going to be with you. It's a beautiful words, aren't they? Encouraging words. And that's really what Jacob's doing. He's just passing that along. God will be worth, with you. And then he, he says this, and he'll bring you back to the land of your fathers. How does he know that? Because that was the promise given to his, his grandfather and his father, land, descendants. And he knows it's true because he's been faithful to Jacob, to Israel. He's been, God has been so faithful and he knows it. And he says, hey, listen, whatever you face, whatever you go through, that God will be with you. Now, when you look at Jacob's life, it hasn't been a stellar life, right? God has had to tell him over and over the same thing. It's taken all this time for him to finally get it because it was back in chapter 28, verse 15. Here it is on the screen behind me that God promised to be with Jacob, even when he was sent away from his family. Remember, he was a mama's boy. He lived in a, he, he was living around the inside of the house. He, knew, he made soup with his mom. Esau was the guy outside. Jacob was the, the one inside. And, and, uh, and so he, now he's got to leave. It's under threat. His brother's going to kill him. He's got to leave. And God comes to him. He's afraid. He's afraid. And this is what God says. Behold, I'm with you. 
And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. What a great promise. I think we can all claim that promise, that God isn't done with us, that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And God had promised Jacob from the beginning, I'll be with you. And then God gave instruction years later to return. After he had gotten his wives, he's going to come back to Canaan. And he was afraid. If I go back there, my brother might kill me. Remember that whole story? It's Genesis 31. Here's the verse here behind me on the screen. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I'll be with you. This has been something he's heard over and over. So now he's 147 years old. He's, he's really complete in his faith. He, he loves God. And now he's beginning to, to say the same thing. He's passing it along. Tell you what, when you've gone through hardships and sorrow and trials, that's when you're able to minister to somebody. Listen, I know this is a difficult thing in your life, but when I went through something similar, God was with me. We come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling. There's a pastor, a real close friend of mine, he's on our board, Mike Morris, and I posted this on the prayer chain today. I talked to Mike today. We sent him a bouquet of flowers, but his wife had a stroke the other day. Mary and Mike were part of this fellowship back in the 70s and early 80s. And uh, Mike is a faithful brother. He's pastor of Calvary Chapel, uh, Lancaster, and his wife had a stroke. She had a really mild one, and uh, she's, she's a little bit confused, but not so that she can't talk. She's, her speech is a teeny bit slurred, but not so that she doesn't have words. I mean, God really spared her, and, and Mike is taking care of her, and, and uh, we sent her flowers today, and Mike called. He was so thankful. As a brother in Christ, by the way, that was from you. It was from the church. But as a brother in Christ, you come up alongside someone, and what great encouragement we can give when we say, oh, God, God is going to be with you. I'm going to stand with you through your storm. I'm going to help you. As you go through this difficult thing, I'm going to be with you just as God was with me. And Jacob had been told that over and over again. And now he says it to his grandson. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, God's going to be with you, he says. So Jacob saw this great future for his children, for his grandchildren. And a future that involved all of the promises that God had given him, made to him, and now he blesses and bestows those promises. Again, Jacob, the crooked surplanter. Jacob, the liar, the deceiver. He's finally become Israel, fighter for God. Remember the battle and the, the hip and the out of joint, and he, he, he becomes a winner. Very interesting, uh, Israel now. He's been through it all, and, and God has, you know, made him limp the rest of his life. But he's now this man of great faith. God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers, verse 21. Now, here's the application of this text. It's pretty simple. Number one, parents. You need to do something with your kids. When I was growing up in the 60s, figure out how old I am, there was a group that I loved, besides Buffalo Springfield and Richie Fure, who was a Calvary Chapel pastor, by the way. Um, this group called Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. You see, all you old people are shaking their heads. See, I, you know. 
They wrote a song called Teach Your Children What? See, you know, Teach Your Children Well. Really a neat song. It was written to the hippies. Think about this. The hippies were the counterculture. They were the free love. Don't put any trip on me. I want to I do what I want. They were really rebellious. Tripping out, peace man, love, paisley shirts, all that stuff. Paisleys are pretty cool now, huh? You, cool Paisley socks are in. Next week, everybody have paisley socks, all the youth. But that song, Teach Your Children Well, it was written, and it's kind of ironic to, for them to say that to these hippies, you know, who went on to become some of the more liberal people in our, running our government now, but, but that's another story. But here's the truth of this story. We as parents need to teach our children well. We need to leave a godly heritage and legacy behind. My parents, yeah, they, they didn't make a lot of money, but boy, they loved Jesus. They always shared Christ with me. They, they always told me about the Lord. And yeah, maybe I went through a real difficult time, 20s and 30s, but I remembered what my mom said to me. And now I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and God is with me. That, that's our first responsibility, sharing those truths, reading the Bible, praying with our children. Parents, you've got to do that. I know they're a hassle. Again, and my wife lovingly said, boy, it was hard today. It was, the kids were busy. I was running after them, and she, she was busy with them. But I'll tell you what, parents, don't, don't neglect this. It, it's hard. Where you're at, it's hard when you have little ones in the home. But you've got to read the scriptures to them. You've got to hold them by the hands and say, Jesus loves you. You've got to pass that legacy on to them, just as Jacob passed it on to his sons, to these two grandsons as well. One of the best things you can do is to pass your story. The journey that God's led you through in your life, the, the truth about who you are. You don't tell them all the gory stuff. You just tell them you were, you, were anti, you, were, you were a sinner and you did the wrong thing, but Jesus saved me by his mercy. And when they do something really bad, instead of jumping on their case, I challenge you to do this. Every once in a while, stop and just hold their hands, look in their eyes and say, I forgive you because my Jesus forgave me. And if you'll do that, you'll gain credibility in their eyes. Wow, I know I did the wrong thing. And my, you know, if you do that with a teenager, it blows them away. They don't know how to react. But, but the greatest testimony that you can give is your journey, sharing your testimony to your children. What a blessing for your children. What a blessing for your grandchildren to know that you have faith in Jesus Christ, the creator of the world. It's your story. You need to share it and tell it to your kids. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful story this evening. The application for us as parents and, and me as a grandparent now is challenging. Lord, help me. Help us to share Jesus with our children and grands. Help us to be not only a good example, but, but to actually read the Bible to them, to make it our priority to turn off the, the, the device in, our, in their hands on the wall and to just sit with them and, and read, to spend time with them and tell them about Jesus. Just how precious it is. Even this morning when I prayed and my granddaughter 
held my hand and we prayed together before breakfast. Lord, that we would have this legacy as parents and grandparents, Christians and and followers of Christ, to pass it on to our children, to share Jesus Christ with them, using every moment. Lord, bless us, help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all